0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning It's wonderful to see you this morning My name is Dawson Taylor and I serve as your senior minister And um, as I told uh, the earlier service, earlier this week I was on uh, a series of uh, phone calls and uh, emails with colleagues Not only across the country but here in Naples And uh, one of the colleagues here in Naples said we're going to go ahead and do uh, live worship uh, in person as well, but we're going to ask people to uh, make sure they socially distance uh, themselves. And based on attendance from last week, that won't be a problem. And uh, this morning, it has not been a problem here either. So uh, we are grateful to have you here this morning. I'm grateful to our uh, choir and all of our musicians and our staff who have uh, been able to uh, be here and to make worship uh, the typical uh, experience that it is. Our remote communities at Arbitrace and Bentley Village are not gathering because at our CCRCs they are not uh, gathering in large groups. But what I have been assured is that they are uh, watching from their individual homes and so we bring them greetings. And I do know that we have a significant population watching online through uh, Facebook Live and live stream, and so we welcome those who are joining us uh, that way. I want to uh, let you know that uh, there will be an email going out um, actually at the end of this service that will announce all of this to you. So, um don't have to worry about trying to keep up with it, but I just want to give you a heads up that um, this will be the last time that we uh, worship together in person uh, for the month of March. So next Sunday, March 22nd, the following Sunday, March 29th, will be online only, as will our meditation services, uh, midweek uh, meditation services. Uh, We want to do that to both protect people, but also to provide that space that we think Uh, in concert with uh, what medical officials are telling us and those in the science community will be best to help control uh, this pandemic. And so we will be online only. Additionally, beginning this Tuesday, our staff will begin working remotely through the gift of technology. And I'm grateful for the um, investment that both our endowment and our budget have made uh, in, uh, in technology. Uh, our staff can do actually a tremendous amount of work remotely. And so what we'll be able to do is Actually, you can call the church, uh, that the phone will be answered and uh, any staff person will be able to be reached. And so we're able to do that. Our email will be able to be accessed. There's lots of ways that we'll be able to be responsive. And so uh, we're able to do that and we'll be doing that at least for a week. We'll see how that works out, reassess, and likely do it uh, for another week after that through the end of March. Um, We are canceling or suspending all in-person events. All of our board committee and task force meetings um, that need to continue to happen will be moved to Zoom, and your staff liaison will help with logistics uh, on that as soon as we meet tomorrow to go over all of that. So uh, give them a few minutes tomorrow to uh, get uh, up to speed on everything. You'll notice today we're doing some things like we've taken the um, attendance books out of the uh, pews, so that that's one less way to pass any germs. And um, At the core of my heart, we're not receiving the uh, offering as we might normally. Uh, But again, one less thing to uh, pass along. But instead, you will find um, the largest offering plates I could find um, at each of the exits uh, today. And our ushers will be there as well. You know, I make light, but um, I I do want you to know, and and I'm grateful to our board of trustees um, who have... uh, Acted swiftly uh, to make sure that we are in strong financial position, which we are. Uh, but you know, we have we have commitments that we will ensure that our staff uh, are compensated during this time, including our preschool staff, our bargain box staff, um, which is uh, significant amounts of money. And so what we know is that our bills continue, but what I trust is in the grace of God and in your generosity that it will continue as well. And so I would remind you that all of the ways that we can give... Uh, through online giving. You can certainly mail in your gifts. You can call Sharon uh, Magera in the church office. All of the ways that we are able to give are available still, and we will continue to make those available. I'll come to your house, sit on your driveway, whatever you need me to do, but um, I trust that um, you know the great church that we are. Bargain box will be closed this week due to the fact that the volunteers that we rely on fall into um, that high-risk category, and so we want to protect them. Um, Precious Cargo will remain open this week, and there are a lot of happy parents in Collier County because of that, and so we're grateful uh, for that. Lastly, because uh, we're... uh, you know, reinventing church after 2,000 years, Uh, one of the things that you can tell is that we've been told to keep our distance from each other. And so uh, starting in the morning, you will see a new e-blast every morning, um, just after 4 a.m. from the church called Going the Distance. Um, And that will be a, a reflection from one of our clergy And it's our opportunity and our hope to put some positive energy in the world to offer words of hope and comfort. And so we hope that it will be meaningful to you and that if so, that you'll pass it along to friends and family and others. And so uh, look for that. On Wednesdays, that will be... uh, we hope that you will feed your soul through live streaming the uh, midweek meditation. And then on Fridays, it will be specifically geared to families. So uh, to either children, parents, grandparents, and so those will be uh, taken care of by Merrill Noble or Dr. Leanne Batham. And so that will be a new ministry that we'll be doing during this time to try to meet the needs of our congregation. Is Uh, Jim here I don't think he is I think he's worshiping from home, but I do want to congratulate Jim Barton and uh, his wife, Betsy, uh, for uh, Jim was recognized uh, this past Thursday, I believe, was the luncheon uh, at the Greater Naples Leadership Luncheon as the distinguished with the Distinguished Leadership Award, a, a tremendous award in our community, and um, I'm also proud to say not the first Naples UCC member to receive this award either, and uh, Jim and Betsy have been longtime members of the church and longtime uh, members of the Naples community making a significant impact. So it's a well-deserved award, and we are proud of him. And uh, Reverend Dr. Sharon Harris Ewing uh, attended the luncheon on the church's behalf, and so we are grateful for her presence there as well. And so as we begin worship this morning, let us center our hearts and our minds as we begin and prepare.
1: Good morning. Again, I need to say thank you to Dr. Becky, Robin, and the choir for being here this morning and for uplifting us with such beautiful music. It's wonderful. Thank you. So I must confess that it feels pretty strange to be preaching on a day when the majority of our congregation is worshiping with us either on live stream or Facebook. And we are moving, at least for a couple of weeks, to kind of a virtual worship experience. I don't know about Dr. Taylor, but when I went to seminary, they didn't teach us how to be a televangelist. (laughs) Um, But here we are. And uh, in spite of the fact that our book study groups will have to be reading their chapters at home for a week or two, we will continue to address the subject of grace throughout this Lenten season. So, we begin. In the third chapter of the book, If Grace is True, Gully and Mulholland address some of the problems that we all face in trying to understand the character of God. And they have some ideas about that. But when you want to figure out what God's character is like, it is often helpful to ask a seven-year-old, They have ideas that adults don't have, and they have remarkable faith. For example, we learn that God is creative. Second grader Ruthie writes, Dear God, I think the stapler is one of your greatest inventions. (laughs) P.S. Rubber bands are pretty good, too. We can be pretty sure that God cares about human beings. Young Jonathan writes, God, if you hadn't let the dinosaurs get extinct, we wouldn't have a country. I think you did the right thing. (laughs) Sometimes we wonder about God's infallibility. Norma writes, Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was it an accident? (laughs) Other times we ask whether God plays favorites. One anonymous young denominationalist asks, God, do you have a favorite religion? Here are three to choose from. Baptist, Methodist, or Presbyterian. P.S., I'm Presbyterian. (laughs) There is very little that is as powerful as the image and understanding of God's character that you and I were given when we were little children. From birth to age seven, what we observed in our parents, in our caregivers, and what we were taught about God and about Jesus formed the foundation of our spiritual identity. The authors of our Lent book study recount an experience when they were young seminary students. Once, when they were discussing the character of God in class, the professor asked, well, what God are you talking about? The God of the Bible or the God of the Quran?" the God of Abraham or the God of Jesus? Is it the incarnate son of God who gathered the little children around them, around him and blessed them, or is it the God of Joshua who commanded him to slaughter the opponents of Israel, man, woman, and child? So in light of these biblical conundrums, none of which are easy to wrestle with, let alone answer, Gully and Mulholland conclude that some of our favorite biblical characters, well, they simply just misunderstood either the character or the instructions of God. At the same time, there are some biblical characterizations of God that they feel are accurate based upon their own experiences of life. For example, they like the characterization of God as a kind of parent, who responds to our cries for help. They like the characterization of a loving and forgiving God, like the parent in the story of the prodigal son. They like the idea of a God who is stronger than evil. They like the image of a God who suffers patiently with humanity, not saving us from natural consequences, but always providing grace when we ask for help. These are wonderful images and characterizations of God. Gully and Mulholland suggest we hold on to the stories of Jesus and dump the other stories that we don't like. But I would like to add my own opinion about Bible stories. I would suggest that it is not the character of God that is revealed by the stories in the Bible. I would suggest that it is our character that is revealed. Mitch Album in his book, Have a Little Faith, remembers a Talmudic story that was told to him about God's character when he was just a little child going to Torah school. The story is the story of Exodus. Moses is leading the way. The Israelites safely cross as the Red Sea is parted. And the Egyptians chase them, and then they are drowned as the sea comes back together. And up in heaven, all the angels begin to cheer. But God sees this and becomes angry and says, Stop. Stop that celebrating. Those were my children too. So I would suggest that we try to approach approach the Bible in the rabbinic fashion, allowing the stories to teach us about ourselves. For example, do we feel uncomfortable when God floods the world? If so, that's good. If not, what does that tell us about our level of compassion? And have we ever justified our own fear, anger, or attitudes towards people who are different than us by pointing to the scriptures? In what ways have we made Christianity a kingdom of rulers rather than a kingdom of servants? In our lectionary reading for today, we heard a portion of the story told in the Gospel of John about a time when Jesus decides to leave his cousin, John the Baptist, to stay there at the Jordan doing his baptizing work and to head back north to his own neighborhood there around the Sea of Galilee. And the story recounts how Jesus was walking through the region of Samaria and he stopped for a drink at the well outside of a town called Sychar. There's a woman there who's drawing water. Jesus asks for a drink. Now the woman is frightened because she knows the Jews and Samaritans are virtually enemies. They are not on speaking terms. Courteously, she reminds Jesus about this. Not surprisingly, Jesus disregards her fears and tells her that even though he asked for a simple drink of water, she should be asking him for a drink of living water. Now, she thinks that Jesus is still talking about good old H2O, so she hopes that Jesus has some kind of magic so she won't have to work every day drawing and carrying water for the village. Again, disregarding her self-centered interest for the moment, Jesus tells her to go home and get her husband and bring him back to the well. As you know, uh, she tells Jesus she has no husband, but she keeps the rest of the details to herself. So Jesus finishes the story for her. Yes, five husbands, one current lover. The story doesn't tell us what sort of expression this woman must have had on her face when she hears this it simply relates that she says to jesus "Hmm, you must be a prophet then she quickly changes the subject because who wants to talk about illicit relationships when you can talk about religion right so she tries to steer the conversation to the difference in worship locations between jews and samaritans for the third time jesus deflects her deflection and tells her something about the character of God. So let's go back to what Jesus says. A time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. So what was Jesus teaching this woman about the character of God? The first thing this story reveals about God, at least according to Jesus, is that the time and place we worship isn't very important to God. I mean, it's nice to have churches and temples for liturgy and fellowship and all of that, but real worship is something that happens between our spirit and God's spirit. It is a personal communication between creator and creature. Jesus calls that true worship. The second thing the story reveals about God is that God values truth. God knows what is real and what is not. And wants to know if we know what is real and not. Especially about our own lives. And about the inner condition of our hearts. The question isn't whether God can handle the truth about who we are, but about whether we can handle it. But, says Jesus, if we can be truthful with God about ourselves, then that is true worship. And one last thing the story reveals about God, according to Jesus, is that God is personal. The first part of my life, I never knew that God was personal or cared about anything or any individual. And then later, someone told me that God is love and that Jesus cares about me and that the Holy Spirit would help me understand this if I would allow it. Well, when I was a child, I didn't feel very much of anything about God and I thought worship was a fearful groveling in the dust before a condemning God but that all changed it takes a lifetime and a bunch of experiences both good and bad to know that when my spirit responds to God's spirit in truth then there is no fear just a huge lump of gratitude Stuck in my throat that sometimes leaks out of my eyes. So the story of Jesus and the woman at the well isn't over. The story continues with the woman returning to her village telling people about her encounter with Jesus. The story relates how the people of that village came to believe in Jesus because of what they heard and experienced for themselves when Jesus actually lived with them for the next two days. Unfortunately, the story doesn't say what happened to the woman, but my guess is that she came away with a different idea about God and was no longer afraid to tell the truth about herself. And my guess is that the old chore of drawing water from the well and lugging it back to the village day after day, somehow became an act of worship and gratitude. My guess is that if we asked the woman to describe the character of God, she wouldn't be able to find the words. She would probably just tell the story of when she met Jesus. In her book, An altar in the world, Barbara Brown Taylor, gives us her perspective on trying to put words to the character of God. She writes, anything I say about God will be inadequate. No matter how hard I try to say something true about God, the reality of God will eclipse my best words. The only reality I can describe with any accuracy is my own limited experience. And so now it's your turn. If your child or grandchild came to you and asked, Grandpa, Grandma, what is God like? What would be your answer? Would it be the answer of your childhood? Or the answer of your own experience? Or maybe a little bit of both? Or perhaps you might say, I don't know, but I hope we keep trying to find out because that's what the ways of faith are all about. It's like those wonderful words that Fanny Crosby wrote over 100 years ago. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee.